This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. And welcome to Suite 212, broadcasting live on Resonance 104.4 FM, London's most consistently intelligent, inquisitive and innovative radio station. I'm your host, Juliet Jakes, back from a two-week tour of the former Soviet Union that took in Ukraine, Georgia, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, which will doubtless form the backbone of some future episodes, but kept me away from the March edition, which was ably hosted by our guest Tom Overton. If you wish to catch up with that episode, or any of our other programmes looking at the arts in their social, cultural, political and historical contexts, you can now find us on iTunes, as well as via SoundCloud and Twitter, where we share a variety of artworks and articles that we find interesting, as well as links to the show. This month, we're presenting the first part of what will doubtless be an ongoing conversation on Suite 212 about racism in the arts, discussing our panellists' personal experiences, structural problems in Britain's varying cultural sectors, and works and initiatives that challenge it. Joining me today are Larry Achi and Pong and Alexandrina Hemsley. Larry is an artist, musician and filmmaker based in London, whose works use imagery, oral and visual archives, performance and sound to explore ideas around class, cross-cultural and post-digital identity. This includes the Finding Fanon film series, made with David Blandy, in which the two, issues, the two artists examine the politics of race, racism and the post-colonial, and how these issues affect their relationship. His Relic Traveller series, made up of moving image, audio, performance and prose, takes place in various locations and builds upon a post-colonial perspective informed by technology, agency and the body, as well as narratives of migration. He's held residences at the Wising Arts Centre and in Newcastle, Oslo and London. And like me and our other guests today, he's a resident at Somerset House Studios. Alexandrina Hensley's practice is collaborative and frequently interdisciplinary, which she sees as a way of keeping knowing active and open. Her work aims to reclaim and celebrate her identity as a mixed-race woman and tries to engage with the various cultural frameworks that mark her body on her own terms. Since 2011, she has been collaborating with Jamila Johnson-Small as part of Project O. Since 2012, She's been working with Rosie Heaford and Helena Webb on the show Dad Dancing. And for the last two years, she's been collaborating with Seke Chimutanguende on a new piece of work called Black Holes. You can find her writing on her blog, Feminist Shakedown. Sadly, the writer Irinosan Okaji has been unable to join us today. We hope to have her on a future edition of the show. In one of the most widely read and discussed books of the last year, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, Rennie Edo Lodge lays out her frustrations with the failure of white people to acknowledge their complicity in racist structures of oppression, Britain's inability and unwillingness to come to terms with its imperialist past, and its education system's tendency to focus on racism in the Jim Crow era United States or Nazi Germany, while failing to offer a comprehensive history of oppression in mainland Britain or its empire, let alone any ideas about how to deal with social or institutional racism. In the book, Edo Lodge identifies a history that includes the compensation paid to slave owners, but not to former slaves, after the abolition of slavery act of 1833, the mistreatment of Indian and Caribbean troops conscripted to fight for Britain during the First World War, the acceptance of eugenics across the political spectrum before the second, the widespread discrimination against the Windrush generation who came to Britain from the Caribbean, as well as immigrants from the Indian subcontinent who were invited to the UK amidst the post-war labour law shortage, the Notting Hill Carnival riots of 1958, and the limits of the Race Relations Acts of 1965 and 1968. She also highlights some of the inequities and injustices that spurred the wave of black British academics, artists and activists who emerged in the 1970s and 1980s. 
This includes the fire at a 16th birthday party in King's Cross in 1981 that killed 13 people and was never properly investigated by the authorities. Recently, the subject of Jay Bernard's award-winning performance poetry series Surge Side A. It also includes the riots in Brixton, Toxteth, Bristol and Handsworth, the latter, of course, being the subject of the, um, the very well-known and um, widely acclaimed uh, Black Audio Film Collective film, Handsworth Songs from 1985. It also includes the emergence of the National Front and the assimilation of some of its demands into Margaret Thatcher's political programme and the introduction of Stop and Search in 1984, disproportionately used to target young black people then and now. During the subsequent decades, we've witnessed the incremental acceptance of legitimate concerns about immigration as advanced by the British National Party and the UK Independence Party into mainstream discourse, culminating in the Brexit vote of 2016 and a wave of attacks on immigrants. We've seen Theresa May's notorious racist van telling immigrants to go home and the determination to create a hostile climate for immigrants a rising tide of anti-Muslim sentiment that followed the riots in Bradford and Berry in 2001 and the war on terror, with political campaigning against figures such as Sadiq Khan and Diane Abbott taking a clearly racist approach, and the Grenfell Tower disaster last summer, whose victims were overwhelmingly people of colour. Just over the last few days, we've seen ongoing discussion about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, with the leadership's acknowledgement that there is a problem coming up against the weaponization of this issue by opponents of that leadership's anti-war socialist programme. We've seen the Daily Mail's disgraceful attack on Cambridge academic Priyam Varda Gopal as a punishment for her criticisms of colonial and neo-colonial attitudes in British public life. We've seen Commonwealth immigrants who've lived almost their entire lives in the UK being demanded to provide documentary evidence for every year in this country and threatened with deportation if they're unable to do so. And perhaps most strikingly, BBC Radio 4's extraordinary decision to broadcast Enoch Powell's notorious Rivers of Blood speech in its entirety, presenting it as if it's 50th anniversary of a cause for celebration. Rather than asking questions, for example, about the legacies of the Race Relations Act to which Powell was responding, and what remains to be done for Britain's black, Asian and minority ethnic communities. The days of Stuart Hall and Maggie Stead from the campaign against racism in the media getting half an hour on BBC Two's open door strand to look at how racist ideas were disseminated through popular culture seem a long time ago. Indeed, the programme reference, which was called Eight and a Half Racist Mum, was broadcast before any of today's panel were born. But if you watch the show, which you can and should find on YouTube, you might feel, like me, that depressingly little has changed. So this is the context in which artists of colour are working in contemporary Britain. And I'd like to start the show by asking Larry and Alexandrina for their reflections on this context. Uh, and perhaps um, we could talk about your personal experiences of racism, exclusion and discrimination in the arts and how these have informed your work. Sure, and uh, yeah, thanks very much, uh, Juliet, for the invitation to the show today. Uh, very excited to be uh, sitting with yourself here and uh, Alex Sandrino as well. Um, yeah, I think um, it's 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 quite amazing to to have been you know invited to talk about this really important and poignant issue, which I, for me covers um, a lot of ideas and, and projects within my practice. Um, but yeah, I think to get to the point of you know my own experiences of, of, of structural racism within uh, you know the art scene. Uh, there, there have been various moments for for, for myself, both uh, working individually as well as collaboratively. As you you know highlighted, um, I've been collaborating with uh, another artist, David Blandy, for the last five years, as well as the the Finding Fanon projects, which you mentioned. We um, we started our collaboration with uh, a project called Biters in 2013, uh, which involved us um, taking hip hop lyrics, rhymes, beats um, that other people had already made. So kind of stealing them in a way and kind of crunching them together, uh, creating new beats and songs, taking various backgrounds from various types of, um, you know, uh, aspects of culture, whether it cartoons and so on, and essentially making uh, new sounds with that. Um, for us, that was a very special uh, and kind of, in a way, bonding project, not just for us as um, as, as artists, practitioners, but uh, as, as individuals, which would, of course, later follow on the uh, the, the Finding Funnel project. But I think one thing that 
really um, became alarming to me was um, over a period of time, the way in which we were being invited to showcase our work felt very much like we were being uh, invited as part of the entertainment for uh, shows that were already standing. So, you know, rather than actually being given actual space, uh, it felt like we were just being brought in to events for, you know, to to kind of play a little bit of music, you know, rather than to have uh, actual uh, critical conversation of which the the, the project has. Uh, And and, and there's a lot that that connects to uh, critical ideas around um, appropriation within the, uh, the gallery space. Um, I think before I pass on to uh, Alexandrina, um, uh, another example for me um, is, you know, is also through like direct uh, conversations with, uh, you know, directors or, or curators. Uh, on one occasion, I was, uh, you know, years ago, I was talking about uh, my practice during a studio visit, um, and very uh, directly and blatantly, the, um, the 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 director of space, which I won't mention. Um, told me that they didn't see uh music kind of being part of a uh, you know a, a gallery show um uh they couldn't see that as as, as something uh, substantial um additionally and similarly uh i i'd had a conversation with another director about you know showcasing work uh i was then turned down um saying that my work was not really ready yet i noticed a, a white counterpart who of which um was pretty much the same age as me uh being given you know a solo show so you know when when you're given those types of situations directly um you know you can't help but uh see the, the, those actual problems that that continue to exist within within the art scene let alone other areas yeah definitely um thank you juliet for having me on the show as well um i think it's really rare actually that we get to have these conversations in that's been held by a kind of laid out cultural context. I guess um, I need to say that I, I'm not an, uh, what do I mean? That uh, something around being a diasporan, I guess. So like um, born in London, but not always belonging to the kind of UK experiences of race and also not having many ties to like the motherland as Black Panther will have us uh, think of it um yeah I think also thanks to Larry because I think explaining personal experiences around structural and personal racism uh takes a lot of work so even like in hearing your stories and recounting them I was like with you all Mm -hmm. the way and wanting to somehow acknowledge the labor even in that like simple kind of a question that can seem simple but it just continually unfolds into something far more complicated um Within my own practice, I I guess I try and combat, combat these types of experiences by working with dance, which I see as a really um, flexible medium that always suggests a multiple because you're seeing the body like live. Um, and I do a lot of improvisation. Um, I also write and I feel like that's also another way that I can challenge the language that gets used. I frequently use like two long sentences <laughs> and I like it. I kind of enjoy that excess because I also think that we can't reduce or like if I experience a, a context that continually wants to reduce down my experiences, I will write as much as I can and like squash words together. And um, there's a quote by the author, I mean, it's so new agey but there's a quote by the author who wrote um women who run with the wolves and uh, i read it when i was still studying and she just um advocates for this use of like and 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 rather than either or and even then like age 20 i just thought yes that's it i can just continually add to add to myself or add to the context that i find myself in and add to ways of trying to express these experiences that um even though people of colour are kind of a global majority, they get our experiences seem to continually get sidelined into this um, fabricated space of a minority. But that experience still is as real and still impacts, I would say. Um, oh yeah, I'm also making more and more film work that um, not dissimilar to Larry's kind of process of collaging. Um, I'm really interested in ways that this digital body can morph and suggest other spaces to be in. Um, and then I'm enjoying playing with the tension of that, that I use like my body most of all in my practice. Um, and so yeah, where did the like felt embodied politics meet these 
the potential of a digital space within the context that like, digital uh, technologies aren't always made for people with my skin tone and people who are darker as well. Um, oh yeah, and then I really do more and more try and make events where people of colour can frame our work ourselves because I, I think that's also something that I see as lacking is this um, investment in archiving mm. the work of myself and my peers. Um, I held an event in Leeds last Friday and it invited um, three artists, Selena Thompson, Elaine Toussaint-Buck and Pauline Myers to just sort of answer a question that I was interested in, which was how how we can transform personal histories into future mythologies. And the thing that really stuck with me from there was that these artists were framing their own work. There's such, There's a lack of critical engagement with the work that we're all making in our various ways. And that was just really powerful to be like, oh, they're speaking on their own terms and I have all the time in the world for that. Mm -hmm. So so would you say that speaks to a kind of structural problem in the arts to do with, you know, who works in institutions as curators and as directors? Um, is that part of the problem? I think in my experience, almost certainly, like, and even in the educational modules that, or professional development modules that institutions frequently do, you know, um, a personal experience I've had um, led was curated by two white people and they um over the course of four years we would meet for a few weeks a year and we'd get speakers invited in and for three years those speakers were white and there were two women and the women were repeats of themselves you see what I mean in that they were invited to return to talk each year um and I tried to bring it up and the ensuing process of uh isolation and kind of to varying degrees passive slash aggressive um, labels of being a disruptor and this danger I think somehow that within institutions any um, issues around structural racism can be morphed into being personal spats mm. or something I think that is such a, a strategy mm. that gets used and if and it's so slippery it becomes so slippery to take up that space that actually I am speaking for myself because it's impacting me who I get to see in front of me, who my teachers can be, could be, who my inspirations are and could be in the future, you know. Mm. Um, but it also does speak, yeah, to these structural inequalities. Yeah, definitely. I, I really, you know, agree with you, uh, Alexandrina. Um, e even in, you know, kind of being asked these questions, because I, I feel in a way throughout my career, I'm still very young in my career, only 10 years, but um, I don't feel like I've been asked that kind of direct question before, you know. And so even kind of recounting upon that, for me even, recalls uh, great frustration and, 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 and pain as well. Um, but also feelings that I'm sure um, carry towards other artists, other artists of colour, um, and, and, and helps in being able to kind of, you know, broadcast that really. Um, it's not something that uh, personally within my work, I, I guess I try to, um, you know, talk about in a way where it feels from maybe from other perspectives that I'm moaning. But um, it's it's great to be able to have, a, I guess, a framework in which to be able to do that, because I don't think that there is, you know, you get much of that, that, that kind of opportunity. Uh, otherwise, I'm just hitting the ground like as hard as possible to, you know, to, to work as, as hard as possible on all of the, uh, you know, the opportunities that I've, you know, received lately. So it's not from, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not, trying to kind of say the things that I am within this aspect of, of um, I guess, kind of like complaining. I'm, I'm you know, there, there are privileges even as, you know, a male that I have, but um, these these are very important, uh, you know, conversations to be had and, and, and to even think and recount on on those those moments that I have had and, and, and continued ones, even, you know, um, you know, hearing from uh, close colleagues where, you know, a director has kind of spoken about my work and they're like, oh, well, you know, he's not the right kind of, you know, black. He's not, he wasn't born, you know, in an African country. So, you know, he's not actually African in that respect. You know, when you hear things like that, um, you, there's a crying out inside of wanting to be able to actually, you know, have a proper conversation about that, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, something I wanted to move on to talk about a bit, um, something that I've certainly felt writing as like an out trans woman, um, 
is this kind of um, frustration with typecasting and with only being expected and only being asked to talk about trans issues uh, versus, you know, a real sense of a sort of political and existential need for me to create work dealing with the trans experience because, you know, there hasn't been much historically for me and you know it's created a very strong strong need to create such work to try and fill these sorts of gaps mm. um and i wondered if this was this was something that spoke to either of you yeah absolutely i mean i think it's this it is a dichotomy or it's a multi-directional pulling of everything that um you know you can get told as i have before with some of my collaborators that we like bring the race issue to the festival so it's kind of all on your shoulders mm -hmm. and apparently no one else in that room has any business talking about race. And like, even then, you know, how do you say, well, we all encounter, like we all have an experience shaped by race. Um, but then you can also be in a festival and um, be asked to move along because yeah, you've been, you're doing a piece of work that isn't in the main body mm, of the theater, mm, mm. isn't, um, or like has leaky edges somehow. and in those moments where someone who has programmed you asks you to move along mm -hmm. to make way for like another piece of work or you're blocking the audience's way or something. Yeah. Um, it, that, it, it, I don't know if they would do that to a white artist. And like the more that that happens, the more you have to read it as a really racialized um, interaction. No, certainly I, I, I agree with that again, you know, um, you know, even, you know, kind of being placed in a position of being invited to, to do shows or events and things, you know, around Black History Month. And, um, and you know, one, whilst on the one hand, you know, for, 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 for young kids, for, for even my children, you know, it's great to have um, moments where um, histories that are otherwise completely covered or obliterated can, can be discussed. You know, I get tired of that approach to, you know, my work only being important at a certain point in, in, in the year, only a certain point in time, along with other artists as well. Um, it's it's mm -hmm. just felt, I guess, like a constant fight for me. Um, and and it's almost like I'm kind of getting used to having to, you know, get out and fight all the time with, with those kinds of things, having to like continuously say no, or why is it that, you know, my work is being shown within this kind of, you know, uh, uh, framework where I know that there are going to be, you know, there are other counterparts who certainly won't, you know, um, come into uh, contact with, with, with that type of uh, discrimination. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that kind of tires and wears me down at certain points in time. I don't know how you might relate with that. I'm, I, I definitely do. I'm also trying to think uh, of it being such an incredible resource mm. that we like, it's such a wealth of uh, experiences that you have to pull from your insides because yeah. there isn't very much on the outside that will reflect that back to you and I think there is something really beautiful about that mm -hmm. process it's also really exhausting mm -hmm. and I think I don't want to say beautiful without you know um, I don't mean to dismiss the difficulty of it as well um, yeah what was that thing making yeah. you think of anyway no agreed I mean you know even you know, mm -hmm. kind of talking of I guess being able to pull out like you know positive aspects or you know um, you know, I I I I co-formed the, uh, the the Network Eleven Collective, uh, which you know um, for three years was a was a group that was based around uh, Black British artists and 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 their their production, but also experience of, of 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 producing or trying to survive as artists within you know the UK. And 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 I certainly feel looking back upon you know that project that. Um, that there were a breadth of, of, of artists and their ideas, uh, the likes of Emma uh, uh, um, Abbasiakon, um, uh, Junior Boachie, Yadom, Beverly Bennett, uh, Camille Afoemi, people whom, um, additionally myself, you know, as a result of coming together, we were able to um, perhaps help one another, you know, kind of through th th those those experiences, those shared experiences, to be able to refocus on what for us is important, just making the work, having the conversations, mm -hmm. um, and 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 that that is an important thing, you know, having, I guess, allies or people that you're able to kind of. Uh, get together with to be able to have this conversation because a lot of the time you know it, it, it gets shut down um yeah. and so you know mm -hmm. one needs to be able to have those spaces to be able to do that but where are those spaces you know mm. and where's the danger as more and more like 
work that deals with a so-called aesthetic of blackness as it gets more and more commodified where are those spaces that can feel more liminal or where are the spaces if you don't fit in to again a, a representation that is very external to experiences and it's incredibly generalized and it's incredibly fashionable and all these kind of reductive forces mm. um i remember saying like a symposium a while ago that like you had to do one of those it was one of those horrible open space things where you put things on the wall and i said um you know i'm a black dancer but i have no soul and no rhythm and sort of a lot of the women of color there were like telling me that I did <laughs> and I think like that was really nice of them but I was also trying to make another point of like what if I don't like is there space for having a different sense that's not this typecast role of um yeah kind of African dancing naturally dancing amazingly always consistently dancing body um yeah. yeah, I mean, I wanted to maybe just ask both of you a bit, um, you know, we've talked about certain problems about the relative lack of um, kind of antecedents for, for you know, our, our work in, in different contexts. Um, and I wanted to ask, you know, your thoughts about the potential for art as an agent of change and to ask you about any kind of like artists who, who have kind of inspired you, you know, when you were kind of growing up or more recently yeah i mean um probably one of the the reasons why i've i guess i've continued to to make work in the way that i do today um it's really kind of weird occurrence but um i at, at the end of uh, secondary school you know i think there was there was this celebration event so this would have been like 1999 um people got different awards for, for different areas, different categories. And I, I got an award for, for you know, I don't know, excellence in art or whatever. And, and the, the award that I received was, um, I think it was the 20th century art book, one of those Fiden kind of handbook things. And I remember going through the, uh, the, the book and finding, you know, a range of different, you know, artists other than, you know, the kind of status quo, the Picassos, Mondrians, through to, you know, Rembrandts, et cetera. And I come across um, this artist, Adrian Piper, um, self-portrait exagger exaggerating mm -hmm. my Negroid features and you know even just in the title alone it just blew me away it just I was like whoa you know and seeing this this imagery of which of course I would end up um, researching uh, Piper's work further but looking at this kind of serious portrait that is also kind of um, questioning uh, how how she is seen by, by white people was to me just this incredible uh, conceptual um, uh, flavor that I just, I hadn't been exposed to before. And, and I think from, from that moment onward, I wanted to kind of, I wanted to find more artists who, who, who had a similar skin tone or came from a similar, you know, background and, if, uh, or, or environment as a working class uh, in, uh, person, you know, so that, that, that kind of like, that carried me in quite a big way of course you know getting into on, on onto a BA like years and years like later and um you know needing to do research in in in, in places like Innova where otherwise I wouldn't be able to find um artists like Labena Himid, Sonia Boyce, uh, Satapa Biswas uh you know in my um library at, at University of Westminster um again it was this whole thing of you know you that that needing to kind of struggle to find the things that that were otherwise uh, not visually kind of existing in front of you but mm -hmm. certainly it started for me i think with seeing adrian piper's work within that that book and this you know short blurb around around her practice mm. i think growing up i probably was really inspired by storm from x-men or um and then music like nina simone ella fitzgerald billy holiday the kind of massive jazz um icons um because i think my education was incredibly white including dance school i think we had one afternoon on african-american dancers um there was a black dancer in a in a company that i once saw when i was 16 and i thought oh wow and actually then it was which is kind of fine for me but then it was weirdly reinforced by by teachers going that could be you you know <laughs> like I was just thinking about it then like oh my god ah like grounding in the, the you will be alone for a while in your uh, dance training 
Um, as uh, older, though, I think the work of um, Wanjiki Mutu was really inspiring to encounter. And then reading the works by Octavia Butler, um, this ability to handle bleakness with a lot of like ambiguity that is unsettling but also really full of like imaginative potential um just felt really really exciting mm-hmm. um definitely because i think if you can i guess more and more i'm interested in trying to address and become aware of my own like, internalized um col- colonialization this kind of um wanting to almost reclaim my imagination from these processes and I think those are artists that I'm really interested to see how they do it how they make imagery that or cultivate imagery that's not um, graspable somehow because I think this kind of threat of capture still seems to still be very present if we think about yeah what the market wants for black artists yeah I mean that leads us very very nicely on to uh what I wanted to talk about next which is some of the sort of structural issues that are at play here issues with institutions with funding uh with who works in the arts um I mean one of the things I would was hoping to um to talk about with Irin Oson, who sadly hasn't been able to join us today on uh, on Suite 212 here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, sorry, I just have to remind the listeners occasionally uh, <laughs> what they're listening to. That was really smooth, and I think if I hadn't pointed it out, no one would have noticed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, um, Wonderful. One of the things I wanted to talk talk about, um, for example, is the Jalak Prize, which was set up a few years ago. Um, for authors in a kind of variety of genres and including self-published authors so the parameters were were very broad um you know who felt that their work is often marginalized unless it fulfilled a kind of romantic fetishization of their cultural heritage um and Sunny Singh in 2016 kind of criticized publishers for the lack of submissions i think they'd only had 50 with two weeks to go uh, before their deadline um, and the uh, writer, novelist, columnist Nikesh Shukla identified a perfect loop-de-loop of blame in the literary industry. He said that publishers blame agents for the lack of diversity, agents blame a lack of talent, and writers blame publishers. So it sort of felt like it was quite difficult to get out of that circle. Um, I mean, around about the same time, you had projects like the Good Immigrant Anthology, uh, which Nikesh edited and it had a wide range of writers, uh, you know, Musa Rakwanga, Riz Ahmed, Wayman Khan, Coco Khan, Sabrina Mahfouz, Bim Adewumni, Shemaine Suleiman, Renieto Lodge, Selena Godden and others. Uh, and it's just a sort of volume of essays about race and immigration. But it was sort of published through a, a crowdfunding publisher, Unbound, and did very, very well. It raised, raised its target very quickly. Um, and indeed, one of the contributors uh, for Rideso, uh, was talking on Twitter recently about a Guardian editor who wanted to edit an article about black musicians adding criticisms like their rhetoric can lapse into vague slogans, academic jargon and mere theory. Um, this has been quite a common attack on sort of intersectional approaches to feminism over the last few years that have gained more ground um, as sort of different voices have come through on social media and challenged some of the orthodoxies. Um, you know, certainly something I recognise from my time kind of trying to write for liberal publications through the first half of this decade. Um, So there are sort of attempts to use kind of prizes, awards, crowdfunding to get around some more kind of um, traditional problems with larger art institutions and prizes like the Turner Prize, for example. I wonder if we could talk a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean... um yeah, where, where you mentioned the the Turner Prize, Juliet. You know, I um, I was so excited and happy and ecstatic to hear that you know that Labena had uh, received the, the award, which for me, you know, hands down, um, she should have received that. But again, at the same time, um, there's always that feeling in, in in the back of my mind. In this case, my feeling was, you know why why hadn't she received the award you know 10 20 years ago even you know she she's an artist who whose practice of which if you look for it like it, it's just been non-stop and consistent you know um so there's that that wondering of why 
um, it, 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 it takes so long for, for, for certain artists uh, as herself to be able to uh, receive that, that, that aspect of a claim. Of course, it's great on the one hand, but I can't help but wonder why that, that didn't happen, you know, the decade before, you know, and, and, and not just her, but so many other um, artists as well. You know, there's that concern, I guess, that, you know, you have this kind of like, it's like a kind of like eclipse or wave, you know, it's this wave of it being, you know, we're in a black moment and then all, and then that kind of fades away and then, you know, you're waiting around on the calendar for that, that black moment to come in terms of shows, in terms of opportunities, in terms of funding, etc. Um, you know, again, additionally, uh, the, the um, Soul of a Nation show, which I thought was an incredible show, you know, don't get me wrong, I felt it was a, it was a great show, this which, which happened Modern. at the Tate Modern last year, 2017. Um, you know, but at the same time, we have the, um, uh, the Places Here exhibition, which showcased the work of uh, black, uh, British and Asian artists looking at the experiences of, of uh, black and uh, brown people, um, I guess from around like the 70s onwards. That, that that type of show um, in general I feel hasn't kind of been given that that type of space in in it with regards to you know a tape level kind of size or or um, you know attendeeship um, one has to wonder why those conversations haven't really been given you know the type of opportunity that they should have within those primary spaces and again this is no um, kind of disrespect to you know where it has shown in terms of Nottingham Contemporary or South London Gallery again really awesome spaces but when we look at the likes of a show like um, you know uh, the um, Soul of a Nation which you know a, you know, a, 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 a massive amount of space to be able to uh, look at uh, ideas from, you know, civil rights struggle up to, you know, the now. Um, I, I just don't feel that that British, uh, you know, perspective uh, from from, you know, black and brown experiences has really been given um, that 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 platform, you know, and if again, you know, you look historically at shows like, um, I don't know, Africa Remix, right through to um, the other story uh, curated by Rashida Reen in the 80s, you know, it, it, it's always met with this incredible amount of struggle and then the payoff is something um, very, very small, you know, something small that is given. Uh, so I, I want to see, I want to see more and I want to see more genuine um, gestures being made rather than ones that I feel, well, you directly can compare this to this situation across the road, what, what's going on here. Mm. Within um, Live Art, you have this initiative, Diverse Actions, um, which is money specifically given to anyone who identifies as um, a person of colour. Um, but And it's supposed to kind of strengthen networks and increase the, the legacy that work can have. Um, but it really varies on like, institution to institution who implements this, and sometimes it can feel quite token. Um, at the moment, I'm in recipient of some of the, the money, and it's geared around having a work that could be tourable, but at the moment, I'm struggling to see the difference between um, how else I would do a show ordinarily. It just feels like there's some money, but there's not a kind of investment yet and maybe it will come in uh, the things around it. Like, how do you open up these networks? How do you, who are the gatekeepers? If they're white gatekeepers, how do you expose and explain your work? Do you need to, can it just be like um, welcomed and treated as part of something that they're interested in? Um, you also have a creative case for diversity by the Arts Council, um, which was responding to the like dismal numbers um, of both disabled and um, anyone from a diverse background within their NPOs. Um, but again, I think the message gets a little lost because like, not to speak too much and to conjecture too much about white uh, peers, but I think there seems to be an also a, a kind of frustration around lack of clarity about what they then need to do to um, make their own companies seem diverse. And it seems to be quite a like reductive visual, again, representation of like what diverse diversity even looks like so you'll get a lot of photographs from for example Battersea Art Centre's Beatbox Academy 
because it kind of fits in with this like antiquated notion of diversity. Um, so I think it's putting pressure somehow in the wrong places and, um, you know, getting fed back stuff like, oh, I don't know who the Arts Council have asked me to have a black person on the board of my company before I can become an NPO, you know, and it, it just feels like, well, I hope that's not all they're saying to you. <laughs> to you. I hope that there's mm. like a more long term or like a show that there does need to be a more long term change and it's not yeah. about token efforts. Yeah. And then on the flip side, institutions do have to box tick and I wish they'd be more transparent about it. I wish mm. I could sit in an institution and be like, I know I'm here and I know I will increase whatever capital I'm bringing to your institution. Can we talk about that? And then let's have a willing conversation around what this relationship might look like. Um, that's been quite rare. I think usually I, I usually leave those kind of meetings really tired. Mm. <laughs> is, there, is there more to say about... Um, you know, who makes up the workforce of our kind of cultural institutions. Um, I was looking back again today mm. at a survey, the results of which were published in The Guardian in December 2016 uh, from an Arts Council England report, uh, where they talked about the fact that black and Asian and minority ethnic people made up 17% of the workforce in England's 663 national portfolio arts organisations across a range of different disciplines uh, and this was actually an increase on 2015 uh, when it was 13.9 percent and the national average was 15 percent um, and you know that I think feeds into the fact that when the Tate Modern was reopened that same year 2016 only 29 percent of the artists in the permanent exhibition were people of colour um, the same report also talks about Althea F and Sheila being blocked from becoming a non-executive director of Channel 4 by the then cultural secretary um, so I, I wondered if there was anything more to say about that, you know, structural issues. It's just not good enough. Yeah. Like if mm. you if you can't see yourself in an institution, if you don't, if the if the language, I think it still takes risk to articulate an anti-black experience mm. to uh, to people who aren't a person of color. Um, and if you can't, if that's the first hurdle you have to get over, like if you can't trust that you will actually be heard. Um, or at least empathised with, because I don't think that like people's experiences are all very different, but you just need to be heard. And I think there could be so many instances where opportunities are missed because there isn't that person that can be there. No, definitely that 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 aspect of being heard, of being seen, and being able to see and hear. Mm. Um, you know, again, like you go through, you know, <laughs> it's like I'm picking on tape, but you know, so many like spaces and. Um, when it comes to seeing, you know, people of colour or working class people, you know, usually they're usually in positions of like servitude, like you know, serving coffee, cleaning floors, you know, um, that that is what needs to change, in my opinion. You know, seeing um, uh, more people from diverse backgrounds, you know, within directorship roles. You know, I'm 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 really hoping that I can see that in my lifetime. Um, will, will that happen? I don't know, but that that is going to be necessary i don't think that um you know going up from uh, what you said earlier alexandrina i don't think i don't think that it's it can be something that um white people can kind of like solve but ha how that gets solved is through um people who 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 are not the usual, not the status quo, being within uh, these these positions of power. We need more of that, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've sort of touched on the relationship between race and class a couple of times. Um, and The Guardian today published a survey of um, 237 people working in the creative industries uh, and found that the percentage of people working in publishing with working class origins was 12.6%. In film, TV and radio, 12.4. Music, performing and visual arts, 18.2%. Um, so the research shows that, to quote, the people most attached to the idea of the arts being a meritocracy, that the best jobs go to those with the most talent, were white middle-class men who occupied the highest paid jobs mm. and were the most able to bring about change. Um, one of the paper's authors, Dave O'Brien, who's a very interesting kind of academic and culture writer who's definitely worth looking up, you know, said that the arts sector was well aware of the problems exposed here, which raised questions about why things weren't changing. Um, 
you know, asking why it was much more like an elite profession rather than being open and meritocratic and saying that the sector almost congratulates itself as being the good guys. Mm -hmm. And O'Brien said it was time for people to ask, are we the bad guys? Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, you know, the, the, the question of sort of race and class was, was worth bringing into, into the conversation. Um, I also want to quickly uh, quote the author Kit Dewal, who gave a very long and interesting interview to The Guardian recently about kind of race, class and writing. And in the interview, she talks about um, Dr. Anamik Sahar, a lecturer at Goldsmiths, whose book Race and the Cultural Industries demonstrates how British Asian authors are restricted to a narrow gap in the market, how they're offered the opportunity to write a specific set of racially framed narratives in which publishers claim are the only ones they can sell rather than being given true creative freedom. So, you know, I I wonder if that's something that's that's only really likely to change when the gatekeepers change. Um, and I wondered if there was... Yeah. the chance to expand on that because I think I started off. Oh. Um, yeah, I think... Yeah, I um so I, yeah, I'm middle class. I went to a a private school and gained a phenomenal amount of privilege from being in that kind of space. Um I yeah, I have relatives from working white working class backgrounds and yeah, private school was a strange experience in that it felt like my race was certainly like erased from any uh discussion. There was there was no ability to one hold race as a as a um, experience and then also hold any intersect because I think uh, one of the things that middle classness and these private educated um, institutions like to do is to not look at just not look at themselves it, it instantly isn't, isn't a problem and that is deeply problematic of a lot of the systemic inequalities in our society um, so yeah I think class really does need to be addressed Yeah, no. I, it's, it's again, about what again, gets again, perpetuated. I yeah, like, mm. I just, I don't know. I can't agree. I can't agree more with that. Um, yeah, coming from a working class background and and you know, kind of working through like from public school through these these different aspects of a BA program to MA program to see the you know the lack of um, you know working class or you know brown or black faces you know, and then being with this within this environment trying to. Um, you know, I have conversations, which also I feel for me, I, I have to think about other ways of, of showing and not simply just thinking about those, those, those white spaces in both senses. I don't just mean, you know, the white mm -hmm. cube as it were, um, because there is that kind of unwillingness to, to look at, uh, one's, oneself. It, it tends to be, I guess, presented, uh, in a way where you know, it's a black issue or it's an issue for, you know, uh, ethnic minorities be a you know uh, black and you know minority ethnic people and so on it's never kind of presented as you know uh, a, a white issue mm. you know why is it that 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 there, that there isn't um that 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 sharing of 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 power much more you know um that that's what needs to be seen you know because as much as i think about you know um a, a, an incredible array of, 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 of artists who aren't getting the opportunities. There are loads of artists out there, um, which we can talk about all day, but it's, it's, it's thinking about uh, having uh, the, the, the people that should be uh, in, in, in positions of power more to be able to, 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 to help that. I'm not saying that there can't be, you know, or there shouldn't be, you know, white people in, 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 in those positions or, you know, white um, privileged males. Um, but I'm just, I'm personally just not seeing enough of that. Yeah. And that needs to change. I think it's also like more interrogation is needed so that people can make sense of these factors that continually exclude. And it, that can be on like the tiny interpersonal level of like, so at my school getting bullied because of my hair, but not having any language or any mm. sense of it coming from a racialized perspective because actually everyone else around me was white and blonde. And so my alienation, I, no one even suggested that it was a, race thing and then you have to kind of come to terms mm -hmm. with it after and then yeah if you like zoom out into the structural if like the powers that be the gatekeepers the ones who have inherited a huge amount of wealth um if they could actually look and start to 
what's the word, like disentangle themselves from it or start to share, power mm. share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we've got 10 minutes left here on Suite 212 on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, I'm your host, Juliet Jakes, and today I'm discussing race, racism and the arts with Larry Achiampong and Alexandrina Hemsley. Um, so we're just going to start kind of drawing some conclusions now. Um, something I wanted to quote was someone I've mentioned already, the writer Sabrina Mafuz, uh, who said on Twitter recently, going to put this out there, if you work at an arts or any venue or organisation, next time someone suggests a panel, conference or talk on representation in any form, go ahead and say, hey, instead, let's do a massive free workshop for the people we're otherwise going to spend the day talking about. Mm. Um, and I mean, that that suggests something quite kind of concrete. And really, it seems quite obvious that the institutions can do to address some of the structural issues we've been talking about. Yeah, I've been in... I tried to be in discussions kind of like covertly with with venues around like giving a discount to people of color for example to see a show and I haven't yet been able to directly uh say that to them or I've been advised not to say that to them but I mean that that quote speaks to me of yeah really kind of close direct action that people can take it makes me think of what um you were saying earlier that um Renio de Lodge was saying how to deal with as well the instances of structural racism if they're continually still being erased or gaslighted out of the mainstream or they're being presented in very particular ways that still don't match up to a lot of people's experience of them i would somehow i can't state enough how amazing it is to be able to transparently speak about them with peers so this kind of like i know collective action is a huge phrase and a huge area but there is still something really great of just giving yourself like a toolkit for how these things might be able to change and that involving people that you trust and are close to Mm. like having it start that way yeah you know also you know thinking beyond you know as as um some of these organizations a lot of these do you know other than let's do like an an evening kind of monthly event where we bring in you know um the diverse people you know that's not the only way that um that, that we appreciate, we enjoy, or even create art. You know, it's not simply just about a kind of night event where you're throwing a bit of music and whatnot, you know. what Again, what's going on within the main spaces? Um, you know, we're not there to, to, to babysit the, 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 the kids with uh, education projects. And that's as somebody who is very passionate about education, and I'll work on, you know, the right project. It's, it's just opening up Th- th- those spaces in, in, in a direct and honest way. Again, mm-hmm. like you said, Alex, uh, Alexandrina, um, you know, if, 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 a, if an institution can be directly honest with me, then that allows me to be able to have that, that real conversation with them. Otherwise, you know, it's, going, it's just going to go straight into the work in, 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 in that way, in that uncomfortable manner that opens itself out but is necessary. Um, and, and, that there just has to be more more genuine gestures taking place, and I don't I I feel like I'm not seeing that. Yeah, um, we're sort of coming up to the to the end of the show. We're sort of getting into the last last five minutes. Um, I mean, uh, maybe we've addressed quite a lot of the potential kind of solutions over the course of the course of our discussion already or potential things that institutions can do um but i I just wondered if you either of you had anything else that you wanted to um to bring up um i mean we we talked quite interestingly uh before the show about the afrofuturism movement and um you know the potential for works that get around this dichotomy we talked about earlier this dichotomy of um you know not wanting to be kind of typecast or kind of put in a position where you are expected to only talk about one aspect of your life your identity uh versus this sort of political existential need to do so but you know the afrofuturism movement for me looks at something that you know finds an interesting way to navigate that dichotomy but also bring in a level of sort of formal daring experimentation um that 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 dichotomy hasn't always allowed for um yeah i think for me it well, it started again from a personal place of um, wanting to figure out why I dissociate, why I fly away from potentially like confronting racist experiences or spa- like 
being again inside these liminal spaces and being told I don't fit in anywhere I guess and something about Afrofuturism meant that I could begin to just like make my own landscapes make my own world and um also realize that oh there's not it's not um it's not a negative thing that I'm moving away from stuff it's actually incredibly like protective thing and then within art making can be a very generative thing of like I don't like this space so I'm going to perform in a space that I can control for once I can construct carefully and formally and choreographically and all the things a space that will give me more agency than I have outside of that space be it a theatre space be it a, photo be it a photograph be it a film be it you know a story absolutely Adrienne. sorry I'm, I'm just so kind of like dreamy within that atmosphere <laughs> that you're talking about because yeah for me that's that that's what it has been about that's what it is quite a lot about lately um you know my, my current project relic traveler which um was established last year um with the help of nefertiti Eboshi shandolf amongst many other uh, practitioners um you know is, is is imagining and having questions around um uh, the demise of you know uh you know western um civilizations but due to um you know nationalism that that increase on uh, nationalism um interestingly i find you know when you when you go through popular cultural films and you think about uh kind of world ending events or the the end of the world as it were you know it's seen from a very kind of western or white perspective you know you're not hearing about you know a kid from um India or someone from um, I don't know Botswana, kind of what what they're doing, you know. While so, the comet hits well, New York, yeah. Well, it hits New York, so it's like, yeah, game over, done. You know, <laughs> we, no, no, we don't need to go to that page. That's all right. You, you've yeah. heard it all. So you know, the, the 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 Relic Traveler project is looking at this aspect of um, of of um, independence, of prosperity. Um, uh, and also a situation of responsibility in which the, the, the Pan-African Union, the new Pan-African Union, uh, is sending relic travellers around the planet to pick up um, information left in the, in, in, uh, in, in the way of uh, vocal records, fox pops, um, the experiences of people, uh, both of the diaspora and otherwise, uh, in order to be able to learn from the ground up rather than the mm. opposite way uh, around experiences uh, that have, you know, led from, you know, oppression and so on. So, you know, thinking of the, the, the recent piece that I had on top of, um, you know, Somerset House, of which we're all residents of at the moment, um, the, the, the Pan-African flag for, for me, that was, that was the idea, that was part of that gesture of having, you know, this wider kind of open conversation. Mm -hmm. And also, quite frankly, to kind of break up the, um, the, that, that uh, skyline of, of Union Jacks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And my um, my new show called Black Holes is trying to is an attempt to retell the history of the universe from the Big Bang until the universe's end. And there's something really great, again, about like re-origining a story and telling it, shifting the perspective from which it's told and embracing the epic and embracing mm. the potential of that. I think, yeah, realising how much we have to play with and stuff. Okay, well, um, that's pretty much all we've got time for um, here today on Resonance 104.4 FM. Um, so it just remains to uh, thank Esther, our sound engineer today, to thank yeah. Alexandrina Hemsley thank and Larry Achiampong, my guests, uh, and to sign off, uh, I'm Juliet Jakes, your host. Uh, we'll be back next month with a show looking at the cultural legacy of the May 1968 insurrections um, from a number of perspectives. Uh, I think it's a really good show. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you've enjoyed today's and uh, we'll sign off here and see you next month. Take care. Goodbye.
Kuchak. Smaller. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.